Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. I have a confession to make. Um, it's never good to start, you know, Easter Sunday with a preacher's got a confession. Um, I don't know exactly how to say this other than growing up, Easter was always super, super, super special to me. Always super special. It was like a special Sunday like no other Sunday in church life growing up. I grew up going to church my whole life. My daddy was a Southern Baptist preacher. And so, you know, nine months before I was born, I was already in the choir, if you know what I'm saying. But I had to ask myself this week, why? Why was this Sunday as opposed to the other 51 Sundays of the year, so special? Because of a calendar date? Because, you know, somebody who puts our calendars together said this is Easter Sunday? I just had to ponder on that for a bit this week. Why, growing up, was this such a special Sunday in comparison to the other Sundays? Anybody like that? Maybe maybe, maybe even now, you know, but, but, but especially growing up, like Easter, like, that was such, it was fun. It was a fun Sunday. And I got to thinking, why? Why is that? And I sent this text to, to Jim this morning. And I think, I, I, yeah, I put it on Facebook too. And, I, and it was just this thought hit me of, you know, I think Easter Sunday was so full of life and joy and peace and excitement because Typically, on Easter Sunday, the focus is on who? Jesus. And on what Jesus did. The removal of our what? Sins. And the resurrection to new life. So that those who believe in him would have a complete forgiveness and would have new life. And so Easter Sunday, that's tended to always be the focus on the churches that I went to and probably you as well. And so that Sunday was a super exciting, full of life, full of peace, full of joy Sunday. And we all looked forward to it. But then what happened the other 51 Sundays of the year? Was that same life and joy of Jesus and his finished work the focus the other 51 Sundays of the year? Not in my context, I don't know about yours, but not in my context. In my context, it was, all right, <clears throat> we just passed the plates, so here's this one. All right, how much are you giving? Are you meeting that 10%? You 10, 10%, you know, not just net, but 10% gross. You've been there, been under one of those teachings? Uh, so so what, what, was, what was your thought life this week? 
How many sins did you do this week? Did you confess all your, did you remember all your sins? Did you tell Jesus how sorry you are for all your, oh, I, I didn't. So don't even think about coming and eating this bread and drinking this cup until you do some business with Jesus. That's the other 52, well, 51 Sundays of the year. Anxiety, fear, worry. But when Easter was getting close, there was just an excitement because I knew I didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back, we were going to talk about Jesus and his work of taking away anything and everything that ever stood between me and God. So that's, to me, my assessment. I could be wrong, but that's why I think it was so special, so exciting. But in 2012, I stumbled upon a little passage of Scripture as I was preparing to teach right here at Life Journey Church, Ephesians chapter 1. And it said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That day, that verse changed the trajectory of my life. Because for the first time ever, though I had undergraduate in religion, I had two masters in religion, that day in 2012, After moving here to start a church, God began to show me what Jesus actually did, that my forgiveness is in accordance to the riches of his grace. So somebody testify. Oh, we got to testify. How how rich is God in his grace? Somebody. Abundantly so, infinitely so. Any other thoughts? How rich is God in his grace? However rich he is in his grace, that is how forgiven you are. So if he's abundantly so, abundantly rich, then you are abundantly forgiven. If he is infinitely rich in his grace, then you are infinitely forgiven. What about my future sins? Well, let's do some math. 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. Wow. So I think Easter is still cool. Don't get me wrong. But I think every Sunday we gather is Easter Sunday. Not just Sundays, but Monday through Saturday. Because there's a life within that I'm starting to learn that we live by. Not not a fear-based therapeutic deism, but a true life of Christ within that we now live from and live by. And so I wake up on April 8th, next Sunday, and I think, wow, we get to talk about Jesus and his finished work. I wake up April 15th, the Sunday after that, I think, wow, we actually get to talk about Jesus and his finished work. And uh, yeah, so that's my confession. So if you're looking for an extra special Easter Sunday this morning, Hopefully, you get an extra special Easter Sunday every Sunday at Life Journey. Because apart from that, what are we doing coming together? Friday was Bob's birthday. Everybody say, happy birthday, Bob. He has reached 61. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Sorry. He's, he is uh, 
38, there you go. Does anybody else, does anybody know what else Friday was besides Bob's birthday? It was actually something else. Good Friday, I figured a bunch of Gentiles would say that. What else was Friday? Passover, right? Passover. Now, it's not always that Easter Sunday falls on Passover weekend. I don't know why. I don't know who's in control of these things. Um, But this year it did. And if we know anything about Passover, we know that it was a very big deal. And we don't have time to go into the history of, of Passover and what happened. But in short, there were a lot of Jews some would say as many as two, three million, there were a lot of Jews that had become enslaved in Egypt uh, under a pharaohs, and they were the ones who built a lot of what we know of in, in Egypt, a lot of the uh, uh, ancient uh, structures, some that might still remain. Who knows? Many that have probably already fallen apart because they didn't have straw for the bricks. They probably already fell apart. But there was a uh, 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 slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the people were crying out. The, the Jews were already promised to be God's blank people. It starts with the C-H, chosen people. And I love that phrase, chosen people, but what I never asked until recently is chosen for what? And I submit to you that they were chosen to show us many, many, many a thing. One is that your self-help, your self-effort, your law-keeping will never get you okay with God but also chosen to show us many shadows of what Jesus was really going to be about. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know about Jesus. It was all hidden mystery, which we'll see in a second. But the day finally came, and obviously you read it for yourself, the last part of Genesis into Exodus. The day finally came where God said, I am going to free my people, Israel, from Egypt. And we're going to read this in uh, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This, what all of our Jewish friends right now are, are reading this, they're, celebra- they're, they're participating in this feast that we're going to read about right here, right now. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is p- to be the first month of the year to you. So they are saying, he's saying that this is going to be a very important, uh, very important year, very important uh, beginning This event is very important. You're starting your whole calendar year by this event. Uh, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th day of this month, they are to each take a lamb for themselves, according to their forefathers, according to their fathers, households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbors nearest are going to share it, according to the number of the persons that are in the households. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. So they're going to, he's talking about, we're going to take some lambs, we're going to eat some lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished, male, a year old. You can take them from the sheep or from the goats. You say, what's a goat lamb? A lamb, goat, actually, technically, the word lamb up there, your lamb shall be, that the Hebrew word actually probably means kid. Your kid shall be, not like a child, but you know, like a, either a baby goat or a baby lamb, baby sheep. So it could be a sheep or a goat, either one. Verse six, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So you get it and you absorb it into your household. You care for it, you tend to it. And on the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight on that 14th day. Moreover, they shall take, here we go, some of the blood 
So they're killing this lamb, this small sheep or the small goat. They're taking the lamb and they're putting it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So I want us to really visualize this. You've got your little, they're in Goshen, right? This little area in uh, Egypt where Israel lives. They've got their houses. And this peculiar thing, the Lord says, I want you to, before you eat it, before you cook it, I want you to actually take blood and I want you to apply it to this side over here of the door, the right doorpost, and over here the left doorpost. And I even want you to put it on the lintel on the top. Peculiar. What's this about? They shall eat the flesh that same night. Roasted with fire, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So our Jewish friends, uh, Friday night, Saturday, they're eating unleavened bread and bitter herbs with a young goat or a young lamb. Unleavened bread, what is that a picture of throughout Scripture? Leavened yeast for those who, you know, don't cook <laughs> me uh, or don't cook well. I don't bake bread. Anybody bake bread? Okay, cool. All right. More power. I don't know. I can't imagine that. Um, how do you slice it? Right. I, don't, I don't know how that works. But um, you have to put yeast in it, right? True? In order for it to rise. Yeast, leaven, is uh, commonly associated throughout the Scripture as a picture of sin. Where a little bit of sin causes the whole, a little bit of yeast causes the whole thing to to rise. So this idea of just a little bit of sin in our life causes a huge disaster, a.k.a. death. But he says, in this meal, you're not going to have any leaven. It's a picture. He's, he's, he's painting something for us. He's revealing something. There's not going to be any leaven, any yeast. We should understand the deeper thing here. He's saying this, there's, there's a lack of sin, lack of sin that's happening here. What is this? Well, do not eat any of it raw or boiled, at all, um, or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with all the entrails. I mean, I hear a picture of complete, total consumption. All of that lamb is going to be in us, the eater. See this picture? Nothing of the lamb, I guess maybe the bones, we're not eating the bones, I mean, I'm Nothing else is not going to be in us. Consume it all. I think that's cool. What is, he, what is this saying? Why, why are they doing this? And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. You consume it all. But whatever is left until morning, you shall burn it with fire. None is going to be left in Egypt, I hear the Lord saying. Now you shall eat it in this manner. This is cool. With your loins girded, what does that mean? Somebody give me a Bible translation. With your clothing in such a way that you're ready to rock, you're ready to move. I want you to be ready to roll once you eat this. Because they didn't know it, but the Lord was about to rescue them, about to deliver them, about to rescue them out of this land of Egypt. So he's saying, while you eat it, I want you to get your running shorts on because we're moving. Your loins girded. Uh, what verse are we on? Your sandals on your feet. Get your running shoes on. And your staff in your hand. You shall 
eat it in haste. Hurry up. Everything your mom said not to. It is the Lord's Passover. This is the first time this word Passover, to my knowledge, is used in the Scriptures. So get ready. Get your clothing right. Get your staff. Get your shoes right. Because as soon as we eat, and eat it quickly, because we're going somewhere. We're going out of here. Out of where? Egypt. Out of this slavery. As soon as this lamb, let's make sure we're on the same page, whose blood has been applied to the door of your house, as soon as it comes into you, we're going somewhere, baby. So get ready. For I, verse 12, will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Whoa. Whoa both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Well, isn't that bad for the Jew? I mean, all the firstborn of the Jews? Wow, this is not, this doesn't sound good. The blood, remember the blood? The blood of the unblemished male, perfect, spotless lamb the blood that was applied to the sides, the sides, the doorpost, and the lintel, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, this is God, the Father, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word Passover. I will pass over you, and no plague, a.k.a. death, will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We don't have time to get into the rest of what happens, but that's exactly what happens. They put the blood on the sides and the top of all the doors of those in the house of Egypt, of, of Israel in the land of Egypt. And that night, sure enough, the presence of the Lord comes through and where he sees the blood of the lamb applied to the door of their houses, he, his his judgment passes over them and it remains upon those who don't have the blood of the lamb applied to the door of their homes. And yes, the firstborn of those homes die. Now, why would God do that? Why would the firstborn, even scripture says very plainly of Egypt, uh, of Pharaoh's house, why would God do that? Sounds, sounds a little bit non, you know, grace here. Well, Ownership, this is huge, ownership of the Jewish nation was passed down from one Pharaoh to the next Pharaoh and to the next Pharaoh and to the next. This Pharaoh here wasn't the first Pharaoh to own the, Egypt, the Israelites. His daddy, who was Pharaoh, owned them as well. And his daddy's daddy, who was Pharaoh, owned him. And so the ownership of the Jews to Egypt passed down by the lineage to the firstborn of the Pharaoh. And so how does God choose to eliminate the lineage of ownership of the Jews from one Pharaoh to the next Pharaoh? By eliminating the firstborn of the Pharaoh. So who's in line to own Israel? Who's in line to own the Jews? Say it. Nobody. Why? Because the firstborn has been struck down, even the house of Pharaoh. Now who owns the chosen ones? You see this? 
Who owns them now? Well, he's always owned them, but who actually now owns them? A pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God himself now leads them out of the land of Egypt across the Red Sea into uh, the, the, the uh, Sinai Peninsula, and they are on their way if, they, if the spies had but trusted straight into the promised land. That's another message for another time. And so the lineage of ownership ended because of the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh. Now look, we don't need to stretch our imaginations here. We know that this isn't just about a group of people in ancient Egypt. We know that these are the chosen people of God, the Jews, to reveal to us something big, something huge about Jesus Christ himself. And I know you guys are already nodding your head and smiling because you see what's happening here. Jesus Christ, as we'll see actually John, the baptizer, puts it this way. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. See, he sees the connection here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now Jesus has born. Jesus has been baptized. And the Spirit of God has landed upon Jesus. And the voice from heaven shouts out, this is the one. This is who all of that of the old was referring to and pointing to. And John had a prophecy from the Lord saying, when you see the Spirit come down and my voice come out, you know he's the one. He's the Messiah. And so John, having seen that, says, this is the one. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover who will take away the sin." of the world. In other words, he's the one who is going to end. What did the Passover lamb do? Ended the ownership of us human beings, not to Pharaoh, but to what Pharaoh was but a picture of, sin itself. The firstborn ended slaves' ownership of the Jews, and it ends our slavery to sin itself. Jesus was not clear in the pages of the Old Testament. When this was happening and God told Moses and, and Aaron to do these things, I can just imagine there's just like, okay, I mean, we'll do that, but I don't know exactly why. I don't know what this is all about, but we'll do it. They were walking by faith in a certain sense. They didn't see the big picture, but what does Paul say about this in Colossians chapter 2? He says, I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you and on, and on behalf of those who are at Laodicea, another city close to Colossae, and for all of those who I'm not personally met face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, Jesus Christ himself. So this mystery that was hidden from generations and generations and generations past. This little lamb, and the, there's a bunch of lambs. Each house took a lamb. These lambs, all a shadow, a picture, a mystery of something that would come generations later, whom we know, we know, looking back, as Christ himself. Can you imagine being there in the first century? Were you, perhaps even as a Jew, though Colossians were not Jews, but as a Jew, you've celebrated this Passover thing forever and ever 
forever, just thanking God for the fact that you're no longer owned by Pharaoh, and then the Lord reveals to you, oh my God, this is not about Pharaoh. This is about our slavery and our death to sin itself, and through the Passover lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, through his blood that was shed, through his quote-unquote blood that has been applied to the door of my heart, I now pass from death to life. The judgment of the world has passed over me for the blood of the lamb has been shed for me and I gladly receive it. Now remember what God told those Jews in Egypt? He said, when you eat the food, we we talked about it, when you eat the meal, get your running shoes on because we're going somewhere. Where were they going? Anybody? Out of Egypt. They were going towards freedom. They were being set free. You know the song, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Whoa, whoa. Do we need to add that to the worship list? Let my people go, right? They were walking. They were ready to leave through those same doors that had the blood of that lamb applied. They They entered into that door as slaves that night. And when the blood of the lamb was applied and the judgment of the Israel of 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 uh, Egypt was executed they walked out of that door now what free you see that same door Jesus says something peculiar he says i am the door i am the door what door what door do you think G- Jews are thinking of what's a big door in jewish history The closet door, the car door, the Passover door. I am the door. I am the door through which you come in as slaves, but you leave as free. I am the door. I am the lamb whose blood was applied to the door to set you free. I am the one who received like that lamb back in Egypt. I am the one who received your death so that you could be set free. I am the one that the Father looked at, my precious blood that he looks at, not your sin, not your iniquities, not you. He looked at me and he executed his wrath against me so that you could walk out free. I am that door. Wow. They had their running shoes on because they were going somewhere that night. They were ready. Eat in haste. Because you're leaving. Where have we gone? If this is but a mystery of Christ and his church, where have we gone because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? We have left our slavery to sin, to death, to judgment. We have left our our, our, our slavery to, to the wrath that awaits us from a holy and perfect God, we have left that and we have 
exited this kingdom of darkness, this domain of darkness, and we have been translated into the kingdom of the beloved Son. When we receive how much of the sacrificial lamb, how much of the Passover lamb, just a bite? No, eat all of it. When we receive all of Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, when we receive him and his finished work on our behalf, we go somewhere. We're not trying to get there. How free were they? The Pharaoh said, get out of here. My son's dead. I have no ownership over you anymore. How free are you? You're free. We don't know that we're free. How sad would that have been for some of those Egyptian uh, Israelite families still living in Egypt with the door Post covered in blood, and they're still in there, and they see everybody running to the to, to to freedom because they've been set free. The edict has been made. The death of the firstborn has happened, and they're sitting there in their house, fearful. Of, I don't know if I'm really free or not. Wouldn't you want to run by and say, "Come on, it's great. He doesn't own us anymore. We're free." But how many of us spend most of our Christian life still in fear that we're enslaved to sin and to death? But what if I? But could it really be? And we live as freed men as if we're still enslaved to the thing that has no mastery over us. So Christ himself is the mystery. He is the one that has been hidden. It's Jesus. He is the mystery. And as Paul said in the chapter before in Colossians 1, he says the weight of the riches, the the craziness of this mystery, who is Christ, is that Christ is now in us. He's in us. He's with us. He abides not far away, but actually in us. In whom, Christ, in whom, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Any and everything that needs to know about life, this life, any life, is hidden in Christ. So what's the goal of Christianity? Is it is the goal to get to know theologies, to get to know uh, books, get to know teachings? No, the goal of Christianity is to get to know a person named Jesus because in him are hidden the answers to life, because he is what? He is life. See, it's really simple, but we've just made it so stinking complex. Verse 9, skipping down a few verses, for in him all the fullness, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's Christ. All of who God is dwells in Christ Jesus. And in him, you have been made complete. I know we talked about this about four or five weeks ago, so I won't get into the depths of this. But man, how many of us spend most of our life looking to be made complete? How many of us are still longing to find satisfaction, to find contentment? How many of us think, oh, if I just had a guy, oh, if I just had a girl, oh, if I just had a this or a that, then I would be complete? And every single one of us, it's as old as old gets. Hey, Eve, did God really say? It's old as old gets. But our contentment, our completion, Our lacking nothing resides in Jesus, and he's made us complete, lacking nothing. 
And he is the head over all rule and authority. Meaning if somebody ever says to you, hey, you're lacking something, you're missing something, you're not, you're not, you're not truly uh, finished, you're not truly complete, who has rule and authority over that voice? Jesus himself. And what does he say? He says, you're complete in me. Wow. And in him, you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Okay, this is a big uh, picture cut to the chase. The circumcision means circular cut. There was a circular cut that was made between your inner man and your outer man, your spirit, your soul, and your flesh, your body. There was a cut that was made so that the who you once were enslaved, you have been cut away from that, no longer a part of that anymore. You were buried, you were uh, in the removal of body and flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, died and buried with him in baptism so that you might be raised up with him through faith in the working of God. So get this picture. Here's what Christianity is. Your inner man, your soul, your spirit was joined in slavery to the flesh, to sin. But God, because of his great riches, upon faith in him, he cuts away your spirit, your soul, your inner man from your flesh, from the outer man. And he pulls that out and through participation in his cross, in his burial, in his resurrection, he puts the end, he kills, he slaughters the old man and he raises a new man, free from the body, free from sin in the flesh. Man, what does that remind me of? Oh yeah, in all of Egypt, there was a chosen who upon the death of a lamb was pulled out set free all of that a shadow a picture of what Jesus really has done the mystery now made known that yes while sin still reigns in these mortal bodies we have died passing through the door of Christ himself into a freedom that was purchased and given for us We've been made complete. His death is now our death. His burial is our burial. And his raised up new life of resurrection is our new life of resurrection. When we were dead in the transgressions, i.e., when we were still Israel enslaved to Egypt, when we were still dead in our slavery to sin, and the uncircumcision, we were still one with the flesh, with sin. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. How many of our transgressions have been forgiven? Class? Oh, can we really believe that? Are we willing to really be so foolish to believe the clarity of the Scriptures? I think we should be. All of our transgressions. Because if we don't, if we're unwilling to believe that all of our sins have been forgiven, removed, then we are still going to live inside of that house in Egypt worried that sin, the Pharaoh still owns us. Thinking they, they still have mastery over us. No, oh, we've been set free. 
Having, how, how did we get set free? How did that happen? Here's how. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, any and all records of your sin record, record of your sin records, have been canceled. How could that be canceled? Because he nailed it to a tree. Having nailed it to a cross, he has taken it away through the death of his Passover lamb. How could God have freed these Egyptians in that first Passover? Ah, Egyptians, I keep saying that. The Israelites from Egypt, how could he have freed them? By taking a lamb and slaughtering it and placing the blood upon the doors of their houses. God was just. He didn't weak at their sin. Judgment was executed against a lamb on their behalf. And now today, how can God wink at your sin? He doesn't wink at your sin. He executed his full judgment against your sin in the body of Christ, having nailed your sin record in the body of Christ to a tree, to the cross. And upon this, verse 15, our last verse in Colossians, when he did this, uh, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. What rulers and authorities? The ones who had mastery over you, sin and death. He disarmed them. There is no more uh, uh, bullets in sin's gun anymore. Andrew Farley says it this way, sin is all bark and no bite. All bark and no bite. You had a dog in your neighborhood that's like that. Oh, man, he'll just, you know, whipper, whipper, whipper. But when you get up to him, he rolls over, right? I used to sell books door-to-door in college. And uh, it was funny, the dogs that were the loudest, you know, the pit bulls. But I'm telling you, nine out of ten, I'd rather go up to the door with the pit bull than one of those little, you know, ankle biter things. Because that pit bull would roll over and I'd be rubbing his belly. And that little ankle biter thing is, you know, well, biting ankles. All bark and no bite. That's sin. All bark and no bite. Because its power has been rendered void. Why? Because you died with Christ. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died and you died with him. Now let's do the math. You, you passed through judgment from death into life because of Jesus. So what mastery does sin have anymore? It has death. Well, you died and you've been raised. So what mastery does it have? Well, death. Well, you died. So, so there's, no more, there's no more death because we've already died. What does this remind us of? Egypt, Egypt, the Israelites. Through what God did with that Passover lamb, the rulers and the authorities, who was that? Pharaoh. He was disarmed. He had no more ability to clay, stake a claim to the Egyptian, to the Israelites. Oh, keep going backwards. He had no more claim because his first son, what? His firstborn, what? He's dead. There's no lineage. He had no claim over them anymore. And so the Lord that day disarmed Pharaoh just as hundreds of years later on a Roman cross, Jesus in his death disarmed sin itself. <laughs> and not only disarmed, but he made a public spectacle of them. Now this is, 
Paul, writing about what Jesus did to sin, a public spectacle of sin and of the devil and the demons, public spectacle. I mean, can you imagine Friday and Saturday? I mean, the devil throwing parties. Like, can you believe what we just did? We just crucified him. Can you believe it? But then what happened? It was Friday, but Sunday was a coming. And he rose from the dead saying, you, you did what to me? Death could not touch me. Sin could not hold me. The grave could not contain me. For I am God himself who calls into being that which does not exist. Public spectacle. What else can sin and Satan and the devil, what, what else can they throw at Jesus now? They're defeated. They have nothing else for he has defeated death. We'll go back to Egypt. Public spect- spectacle. I'd say so. What did Pharaoh start doing as soon as they, he said, go, you guys can go? He started wedding after them. Chasing after them, remember? You seen the movie? It was on the other night. Somebody will get that later when they're looking at TV guide. Oh, Ten Commandments, that's what he's talking about. Um, he started chasing after them. And he, he changed his mind. He wanted them back. He was ticked off. I would be too, I guess. The Lord parted the Red Sea and all of Israel walked across on dry what? Dry ground. Even the water in the soil was separated. You have been made complete. Wow. And as soon as Israel crossed the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his men started down the banks of the Red Sea chasing after them. We'll get you. You see that? We'll get you. And in that moment, a public spectacle was made of Pharaoh and his army as the Lord let the waters that he had held open for his chosen people. The waters gave way and they drowned. A public spectacle. Jesus. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The great wisdom and the great love that you have, that you have shed upon us, not because we have done it. What did Israel do to get your grace and your mercy showed towards them? Many of them were shaking their fists and cursing you. But because of who you are, you chose them to show to us today your character, your nature, your love towards this entire world. And through simple faith in you, we are set free from our bondage to sin, to death. And sin itself is made a public spectacle as Pharaoh was in the Red Sea. Wow. Jesus, you are the mystery. You are the mystery of God, hidden and now revealed. So what do we do? 
when we really stop and smell the roses of what Jesus has done? Are we filled with a passion to double down our efforts of trying to do more, to try to be better, to try to clean ourselves up? No. And when we get a glimpse of what Jesus has done for us and to us by rescuing us through death, burial, and resurrection, then we celebrate. We celebrate because we see something that we didn't see before. We see a love that cannot be from this world. As the Jews, even to this day, celebrate that Passover event, we by God's grace, see the bigger picture of what has happened, that this is about Jesus and his rescuing of us through his death and resurrection, our resurrection, our death to sin and our resurrection to a new life. We see something new. As they saw their freedom from Egypt, we see our freedom from sin. We see new life. We see an end to God counting sins. We see a new beginning. We see a new love. We see a new mindset. We see a new union that we have with God Himself that we could never achieve on our own but that he has graciously given us. What do we do when we pause in moments like this and see what he has done, taking away our sins? We celebrate. We thank him. We don't worry about our sins, for our sins are small. And our Savior is big. On the night of Jesus' arrest, He was having this very Passover feast, this Passover meal with His disciples in a room, a rented room in Jerusalem. Actually, I don't even think it was rented. I think they just used the room. And when they were eating, Jesus Remember, in this meal, this Passover meal, they had this unleavened bread. They had these bitter herbs. They had this blood on their doors. And in this meal, Jesus begins to reveal what this is really, really all about. And he says to them, while they were still eating, Jesus took some of that bread. What bread? That unleavened bread. That bread that had no sin picture of sin. It was holy. It was separate. It was different. And after he prayed, blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat. This bread is my body. A picture of my body that for generations the Jews have celebrated as just unleavened bread, that just the because of Passover, and Jesus is making the connection. Oh, no, this is bigger. This is cosmically bigger, if that's a word. Cataclysmically bigger, if that's another word. It's huge. It's not just about a million or so people out of Egypt. 
This is about the entire Adamic race finding freedom from sin. This is my body. Take it. Eat it. Broken for you. And when he had taken a cup, he gave them a cup, and he said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of this new covenant that I've come to establish. For years with Passover, we were sort of celebrating an old covenant, something with the Jews specific to them, the covenant of law. But now, tomorrow at noon, I will die as the Passover lamb and establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. A covenant that's not like the old covenant. And this is my blood of this new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So today, what I want to invite anyone who would like to celebrate with me this body, perfect, unblemished, unleavened, no sin attached body that was broken for us this blood that was shed of a spotless lamb to take away the sin of the world. So if you are close to a table, I know we have some sitting here, but if you're at a table, you already have some, but if you're close to a table, you can grab some under our fancy china if you so desire. And if not, that's totally cool. But we're going to celebrate this person of Jesus Christ who came to do just that, to take away our sin. When we hold this bread, I don't know if it has yeast in it or not. One of you baker people could tell me. But as we hold this bread, we, we're, we're thinking not just to a Passover meal that celebrated a shadow of this, but we're thinking to directly the body of Christ, which was broken on a cross. It was broken and his blood was spilled out. And our sin, he who knew no sin, actually became our sin so that we could actually become, through faith in him, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So often, unfortunately, this time in churches becomes a funeral dirge with soft, somber music and the instructions are something about think about all your sins and get your heart right and all this foolishness. We're not here to remember our screw-ups. We're here to remember Jesus and what He did on our behalf. And so let's celebrate by taking, as they did on that meal, the entire lamb into themselves, we by faith have received the lamb into ourselves, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we chew on this little piece of bread to just remind us that we have received the bread of heaven as our life. And we thank him for setting us free for the sacrifice that he offered. And we take this cup and we think about the pain and the agony, sure, 
We think also about Hebrews 12, which says, For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. Meaning, the pain and the, the scourging he received, he received it knowing a joy would come from it, where his name would be lifted up above every other name, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. The joy of knowing that through this agonizing pain, this excruciating pain, he would purchase for himself a bride. Having adorned her with all his glory, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. And as Adam awoke from his deep sleep and saw Eve for the first time and said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, Jesus rose from the dead and could see his bride who was brought forth from him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, compatible with him because he shed his blood. And so as we lift our glasses in a toast towards Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to save us, to set us free, we celebrate, we say thank you, we say wow, we say yes. Father, we are so captivated by your mercy and your love towards us. Not only does your love set us free, but as we get to know this love and get rooted in this love, we begin to live from this love, by this love, and this very same love begins over a lifetime to emanate itself through us, not as we spend those 51 Sundays a year focused on our shortcomings and our sins, but spending all 52 weeks a year celebrating the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And so, Father, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to walk out that door into freedom. I don't know if there's anyone here who has yet to call upon your name to receive you for the blood of Jesus, to wash them clean and clear of all their sins. But, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not yet received this love from above, I pray that right this minute, your love towards them would be just intoxicating, that they would not be able to even see straight apart from receiving your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness, for it is the kindness of you that leads us to make decisions that are different and new. And so, Father, may your kindness towards them change their mind so they open up their life so that they too go through the door of Jesus himself into freedom, real freedom, and life everlasting. This is how we're going to close this morning. If you are here this morning and you've never chosen to be born again, to be, become a follower of Jesus, to be set free from this slave of, slavery of sin. You have never seen the great love with which God has loved you with. This is how we're going to end. I'm just going to stay up here and hang out for a little bit. And if you want to talk, if you want to 
you have a question that you'd like to ask, typically we, at the end of service, if you come back next week, we pass around a microphone and we talk and stuff. We're not going to do that this morning. We'll do something a little different. But if you'd like to talk about what it means to believe in Jesus, to receive this mercy, this grace, this freedom from sin itself, I'd love to talk with you. I would love to. Jim, one of our other elders, Brandon, one of our other elders, anybody else, I mean, we'd love to talk with you. For the rest of us, if you want to just hang out and talk, catch up, help move this stuff back, please do so. Um, But I just want to emphasize, lastly, let's don't lose sight that he has taken us somewhere. He didn't tell them to put on your walking shoes and your running shorts and get your staff to walk with if you didn't have intention of freeing them. He has freed you. Are you going to live this week as freedmen or are you going to live this week as slaves? Man, let us live free. And how do we live free? By receiving this truth, this reality, for the truth sets us free. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for everyone here. If you're working in the life of some to bring them into repentance and changing of mind, God, I pray that you continue. I just pray, Father, that you would help us so clearly see what Jesus really has done. If we're chasing after satisfaction and purpose in this world, I pray we see that will just be empty upon empty. Vanity of vanities, Solomon said. Paul says, I consider it poop. Poop. For the all-surpassing glory of knowing you. You are the secret to contentment. Not stuff, not relationships in this world, not marriage and divorce and children and jobs. You are contentment. So, Father, I just pray that we live in that reality to this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, guys. We love you. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.